Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Season 7, episode 39. Russ Berlingame and Mike Avelia. entirely my fault. Russ has joined us literally as I hit go on the intro, so I haven't really had the chance to say hello to him just yet. I, I, I just been, I've been listening to you for about two and a half minutes. <laughs> is that what it is? So I, you don't want to hear me waffle on for you for three minutes like Mike's just had, talking about um, pandemic haircuts, uh, which is just how inane our conversation got. Well, I, but, that's why I'm wearing a hat. <laughs> why do you think I wear mine? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's the top of the hour. It's six o'clock. It's ten a.m. Pacific, one p.m. Eastern, uh, uh, six p.m. GMT. It's Wednesday. It's Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. My name's Len Sultana, and each and every Wednesday and Sunday we talk Comic Cons, Con culture, and all the stuff and nonsense that goes on around them. Obviously, not as much of the uh, the first part uh, because of all the conventions which have fallen by the wayside throughout summer, but. I did promise that we were going to get into um, one convention uh, on the Sunday show, which we didn't get time to get round to because it got into a quite an involved conversation. So we kind of ran out of time. But uh, certainly by the end of this show, uh, in the final 10 minutes, we will be talking about Tampa Bay. We'll talk about Tampa Bay. We'll talk about London Film and Comic Con. And we'll talk about those shows that can feel that they can run uh, even as early as July. Um, and we'll even also talk a little bit about Star Wars Celebration and how it could possibly run it, uh, in Han Anaheim, considering that a major show has, from November at that building has cancelled. We'll get into all of that at the back end. Uh, Pam's watching. Hello there, Pam. Welcome along. Um, but, uh, yeah, any comments and questions, uh, anything you want to get into, it's all about you. It's your, our community uh, that comes together uh, on a Wednesday and uh, Sunday. Please do dive in. We're going to dive in with our guests as well because uh, uh, we've got two great guys and I really want to get into talking to them. They're fantastic people to talk to. Um, we have got ourselves Mike Avelia and we've got Russ Berlin game. Hello there, chaps. How the devil are you? How's it going, folks? Russ, good to see you. Good, great it's to see you. This is the first time you and I have actually done anything together professionally instead of just like hanging out at shows. Really? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, then in that case, because I, I was absolutely under the impression that you two would have been kind of like, you know, you've, you've done well, something in terms of live stream uh, before no, now. No, we, we like each other quite a lot. It's just a question of working for <laughs> well, competing over, outlets, right? both of, that, both of which have right. a lot of video demands. <laughs> yeah, I, I end up seeing Russ every year outside of our studio at, at Hilton Bayfront in San Diego. Every single year as he's running from one room to another, and I'm like taking a break, you know, for some reason, every year in San Diego, I end up seeing him one of those benches out of our studio. It's because every we are on the same floor, I believe, as you. I think yeah. that we have uh, we're like two doors down. Yeah. Well, considering that when it comes to actually, I mean, I've uh, not met Mike uh, uh, in IRL before, but I've met the Russ at uh, San Diego Comic Con a couple of times, and the only way that we've been able to do that is literally try and schedule something and just say, okay, let's just let's just arrange it, for God's sake, just yeah. for 10 minutes, because otherwise it really will be watching the pair. I mean, I have seen Mike 
going very quickly from A to B, and it's it's pinballing all over at conventions, left, right, and center. So yeah. in that regard, uh, I mean, what would you have been up to this summer, um, the pair of you, in terms of conventions? I mean, how busy was your calendar before everything kind of went sideways? Mike? Uh, I was really busy. My, the start of my year was, was action-packed. Heck, just fly miles. I, I was way ahead of last year's pace. I usually fly like 150,000 miles a year. And I was actually at... Uh, at E2E, uh, C2E2, uh, just before everything, you know, kind of went to, to pot. And I remember thinking, I go, you know, they're making efforts to kind of social distance, but by day two, nobody was paying attention to it. Artist Alley was really packed. I remember talking about it with, with Tom King and, uh, and Mitch Gerrits about it, and they were, like, already concerned about it. You know, Mitch is it's kind of a germaphobe anyway. They were, really? in, in, they were in surgical gloves. So anyway, but it was really crowded. And I remember thinking, I go, conventions are just really hard slash next to impossible to implement this kind of stuff. And C2E showed it to me. It's a big convention hall, much bigger and wider than than um, the one in San Diego. And they couldn't make it work there with smaller crowds. And I remember thinking, how is how are conventions continue if they can figure out for a show like this, which is big, but not San Diego or New York Comic Con big. And then, of course, you know, all hell broke loose, you know, a week later, and I've been at home. Ever since. <laughs> yeah, I had a similar thought about San Diego uh, back when it back when they were talking like we're we're going to make this happen, we're going to make this happen. Uh, my, I was wondering whether they would actually try to, and if they did, how they would choose who got to be the thirty percent that would attend considering that you have this problem of selling out in three minutes and then trying to uh trying to decide like okay of the people that we sold out to how the heck do we choose who who gets to be the chosen one yeah. to actually show up uh so i i I'm honestly uh for some of these really big conventions it's probably best when they close not even i mean yes for the public health reasons but even beyond that there's a practicality level to uh not wanting to alienate two thirds of your customers to please the other third. Great point. Yeah. Great point. Uh, for me, I, I uh, ever since comic books started to get big, my uh, convention circuit has been really weird. I basically do San Diego and New York, and then I do a whole bunch of small shows around the Northeast, where I can just jump in the car with my producer and go do a couple of on-camera interviews and a bunch of meet and greets. Uh, so really my, you know, my big shows are, are San Diego and New York. And then outside of that, my other big, like the big things, honestly, that, that, uh, a bunch of us missed was those of us who cover TV, uh, didn't do any set visits this year. And yeah. I think it was a combination of things like all the CW shows usually happen in the fall. Obviously that wasn't COVID related, but it was crisis, uh, because they couldn't spoil crisis. And so they didn't want us on set the week after usually we go the week after the crossover shoots. And so uh, then for anything that we would have done later in the season, it, it became impossible for them to try and schedule that even if they wanted to because of, of the coronavirus uh, pandemic. Yeah, that was I mean, the second to last thing I did was a set visit to a, a Marvel uh, in late February. In, in oh, yeah, yeah. Did you see BD there? I think he was there. No, it, it was really small. It was for, um, for, for Marvel's uh, Hellstrom. 
Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was great. I mean, you know, um, you know, it's still embargoed, whatever, but that was yeah. literally right before C2E2. Um, I remember when everything happened, I said, man, TV's going to be really impacted by this because not just set visits, but right after San Diego is TCAs. And my, yeah. my sci-fi wire colleague, Tara Bennett, covers that. And, and that's like a massive TV event, right? Everyone's there, and that's done. And one of the reasons they have nothing to talk about, no one's got any footage because they had to shut down at the start of March. And that's going to be a big problem for the fall because there's nothing in the can. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing in the can for the broadcast networks and all the cable networks. So shows and Lego Masters and, and reunion shows where you, where you see people doing interviews in their virtual studios at home because they don't have any any uh, scripted programming on tape. I, I recently spoke to Tom Kenny uh, about the, he did a, a series, him and Tara Strong did a bunch of PSAs for COVID for like kids to help them deal with this. And uh, he was telling me that because the, the perception is like, oh yeah, animation, you guys can all work from home. And so they're working just their butts off. But you also, you're gonna have uh, unions coming in and being like, dude, you can't do three people's job and not ask for a pay bump. Bingo. Uh, because that's a bad, bad precedent to set. I'm really curious to see, I mean, I, th I think Mike touched on it, what the landscape is going to look like for um, television going forward. Uh, I mean, we kind of were talk touching about touching on it just before we went live in terms of what we can expect from productions. Because um, here in the UK, we're obviously keeping a close eye on what Hollywood's up to. It's, it's obviously... Uh, a, a headline grabber um, and we're starting to see a lot more show um, uh, news reports about the idea of how the, the studios have literally just shuttered the doors and what it, we could be seeing once things uh, kick back up again and how that can even happen. I mean, what do you think, uh, certainly uh, for yourself, Russ, when it comes to scripted shows, when it comes to any kind of drama shows? Social distancing is just going to really put a massive impact on how we're going to see cast and crew on a set. Um, I mean, we, we've also seen some stuff here where, uh, say, like some uh, soaps is starting to uh, start up here in the UK, and everyone's keeping a two-meter distance, and everything is being very scripted to that end. That uh, you're seeing a lot of uh, two people in a scene from a distance, and it's going to be a lot more of that. Do you think we're going to see that across the board? I think it'll depend on the show and the showrunner because I do think that as regulations are relaxed, certain folks are going to be a little bit more cavalier. I do suspect it's going to be – I don't think anybody's just going to go off the reservation and make those decisions for the cast. I'm sure there will be conversations. Uh, but when you look at somebody like Berlanti, uh, he had said – you know, you know, he's, I think, the most prolific showrunner on television. Like That's not an exaggeration, even beyond the DC stuff. He has like 20 shows on the air right now. And he has said that he's not going to start production until I think October, and that once he does, there's going to be a, a ton of uh, ways that they work around both the fight scenes and the romantic scenes to make it more social distancing friendly. Uh, but even then, it's, it's really hard to picture how that works because end of the day, you still need to be able to have fight scenes and love scenes in order for that sort of show to function. 
you know, somebody on Twitter, and I wish I could remember who because I'd give them credit. Uh, when that announcement came out, somebody on Twitter joked, uh, well, what's the CW going to do then? Because that's all their, that's, that's 100% of their camera time. <laughs> um, yeah. So well, it's, it's Riverdale where everyone's making and having uh, and having sex. Yeah. Riverdale. How are you going to have those scenes with, with still distancing in place? It's not like you can force them to do it. You got to leave it up to the, the, the cast members, right? And you know, and, and we're understandably concerned about keeping a, a certain distance. All of a sudden, Riverdale becomes a lot less salacious. There's going, well, to be you know, a lot, there's going to be a lot of romantic couples breaking up in these shows. Pensive views from across the room. <laughs> Riverdale already did that, actually. So, uh, all you got to do is get through the first couple of episodes of Riverdale to the time jump, and then like five years from now or whatever it is that they jump, you can just be like, yeah, none of them want anything to do with each other, and it solves your problem. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough to picture what it's going to be, what it's going to look like. And I mean, even going beyond kind of what we've already talked about in terms of what it looks like on screen, uh, what do these things look like behind the scenes? Because when you have shows like, I'll take Supernatural, for example, they have on-set VFX because their VFX are such a huge part of their show. Uh, they have like a trailer there with like seven people lined up doing VFX. And that's part of the reason that while some shows have been able to finish, uh, Supernatural hasn't really because all of their stuff was on site and they didn't they don't contract it all out. Uh, so when you have a show that takes dozens or hundreds of people to complete, where a lot of these, these shows with all the hair and makeup and the costumes, you know, a lot of these superheroes need to be peeled out of their costumes literally. Yeah. Uh, so it's really difficult to social distance when you need three people to get you dressed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also really curious. Uh, I mean, you guys will probably, and certainly yourself, Russ, will probably be able to help me out with the idea of what actually the lockdown because we've skipped a whole thing. I was going to ask you about how you, we've skipped about how you've been getting through the lockdown. We'll, we'll come back. We'll, we'll yeah. kind of ask how you've both been doing. Uh, but certainly with the productions, I mean, was it really a case of tools down and we're halfway through production of some shows? Where, whereabouts in the kind of like the, the, the time schedule for production, certainly for the, uh, the, the summer and the fall uh, kind of shows, whereabouts were we in production? Was it a case of, Production is literally just downing tools. Uh, a little bit yes, and a little bit no. Uh, Mike, you can correct me if if you think this is any different. But like my understanding from just and again, like primarily uh, the Arrowverse shows are where I have a lot of inside information because that's I cover so much. Um, they had a few days warning of like, look, this appears to be coming. I don't think it's avoidable. See what you can do. And so, you know, in, in the case of Supergirl, they've been open about the fact that they modified the ending of the season and they modified especially the ending of Lex's arc uh, to accommodate the fact that, like, well, we don't want them to be hanging on a really unsatisfying cliffhanger for a year, potentially. Uh, so, so you did have a little bit of time and, and people were able to rework a little bit of stuff, but it's not like you could say, okay, well, this is our last episode pre COVID, like, they didn't know at the start of production of whatever episode they were starting that they weren't going to be able to finish it correctly. And so uh, I do think that there, there are some shows that got a, that were able to complete episodes. I, I don't know of any show that felt, well, this whole episode's a waste and we're going to have to reshoot it. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that happened. 
certainly one of the things that really hurts uh, the CW, and I imagine the timelines are similar for other networks too, uh, like other broadcast networks that have basically the same scheduling system, is that they shoot their pilots in March so that they can present them at the upfronts in May, which means yeah. like Superman and Lois was one day from beginning production you know, Bitsy Tulloch was sharing script pages or whatever on the, not literally script pages, but, you know, her, her title page on the internet. And then it was like, no, we're not shooting anymore. And so when you get to the fall, not only are your favorite shows all delayed, but the new shows are starting at a huge disadvantage because they don't have all that time for people to look at the pilot, respond to it and be like, oh, maybe we can tweak some stuff. That's a great point. And they lose the promotional window of the summer con. Yeah. San Diego is such a huge promotional platform for yeah. the new TV shows, right? Followed by TCA, which comes literally the weekend after. So you know you have production days, so the stuff isn't even shot. You lose your promotional window, which is why I remember it took so long for the San Diego folks to cancel the show. And I remember thinking, they go, why are you waiting this long? Because there's no chance you're going to have anybody yeah. to promote because you're not going to have any footage. And you have the concerns about actors and their reps. They're not going to want to go down there and be in a potentially uh, dangerous situation and expose them possibly to, to COVID-19. So it's like it's a cascading uh, window here. Just one disaster after another piling on top as yeah. everything gets pushed back. And um, a layer below all that, uh, Mike, it, it, and one of the things that I haven't seen discussed very much, but it certainly affects Hollywood more than almost any other industry, is the insurance element. Because yeah. a lot of the time it's like, well, we're not going back to work until we know it's safe. And people are like, what the hell? Uh, you, can't, you can't just be like the rest of us and put on a mask and do your thing. And it's like, honestly, no, because it can double or triple your cost of insurance or it can make your show uninsurable. And if something goes wrong on a $200 million production and there's no insurance, the studio goes bankrupt. Yep. It's, uh, it's problematic. I'll tell you one show that is it, probably going to benefit from, from this because all their stuff is in the can is the final season of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. Which, which yeah. debuts tonight. The fact that ABC for the last couple of seasons has, has <laughs> shot all the episodes, had them done, and then ready, they can, they can rip them off whenever – um, I think it's going to help them because we're right about at that point. We're, you know, last week of May. There are no new programs that yeah. we can do unless buying them from another country and, and, and bringing them over. But in terms of stuff that they've got in the uh, pipeline, we're pretty much at the end. Of that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, we're going to see every kind of game show imaginable by, um, on, on the major networks. That's it. It's done. So mm -hmm. I think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, one, it's a great show, and I'm a big fan of, uh, yeah. of it anyway, but I think it's going to benefit uh, from the fact that people are looking for new programming in the honor space, and it's there, and it can binge, you know, and get caught up. And I, I, I'm curious to see how the ratings do for it, because I can't imagine the ratings won't uh, be substantially higher than they expected because of the unique situation they find themselves in. Now, I'm, really, I'm really curious as to see, because, I mean, People who enjoy pop culture, people who wanted to go out to see films, they recognize that there's just no films out there to see. I mean, I've got a couple of friends who are working in the uh, the cinema um, industry. They're talking about opening up with social distancing aspects in place, and they've got no films. They've got no product to put on the screens at all. 
Hmm. And it's just this this dearth of um, pop culture to enjoy. When it comes to uh, television and uh, people, stuff that we can enjoy on our screens here, streaming obviously is uh, filling in a little bit of that void, but I'm wondering when people are going to suddenly realize just how much of this has impacted. I mean, you're talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and you're right, I'm looking forward to that coming out, but you're right, that is literally the only show that has had any kind of ability to close its production on any kind of note. When do you think people are going to suddenly realize that there's nothing out there? Well, I will say just a minor correction, and this is not, but uh, Legends of Tomorrow has their finale next week. Oh, right, okay. And they did the same thing that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. They had a 15-episode season, so they were able to shoot rap, and they were in post already when the pandemic closed everything down. Uh, so you do have occasional shows, especially mid-season shows, where a lot of the time they shoot on the same schedule as everybody else, but then they just come out later. So like the CW has In the Dark and a bunch of stuff like that, that probably there will be a handful more episodes. I think that Mike is right. Like you get to the end of May, the beginning of June is when you really start to see that stuff dry up. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a sobering thought. But, I, so, you're, you're I absolutely say, right. By the way, I forgot to say this, and it's worth mentioning. Uh, when I talked to Mark Guggenheim the other day, because he directed last night's Legends, uh, he told me that he had written a pilot uh, specifically uh, that he hopes to direct, if he can, uh, for that's designed to be shot with post-coronavirus uh, social distancing things in place and all that kind of stuff. Like, so I do think you're going to start seeing folks who are writing to the circumstance, whether it's writing shows that can be done remotely or writing shows that can be done with social distancing in place. Uh, and I don't think it's all going to be like the novelty stuff. Like you see uh, a friend of mine, uh, Olivia De Laurentiis, has a, a show on Snapchat that's literally, it's called Stir Crazy. It's about like friends who are who are stranded apart from each other because of COVID. Uh, and there's like five shows that are variations on that same theme right now that are like web shows. That's not going to work on TV. Uh, there might be one that works. But I, I, do. Don't, I, I don't know. I think we've got no choice. I think we're going to see a lot. I mean, we've got the David Tennant um, show as well that uh, is going to be coming to the yeah. BBC pretty soon. Um, we, I think we're going to see a lot of quite, I mean, quite frankly, for myself, uh, I, I've been getting sick and tired of um, the webcam quality and yeah. that, that slight tinniness of webcam audio. <laughs> that, that's going to get really boring really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so, technical limitations of things like this uh, are hard to stomach for 30 minutes in one hour. Um, but you you know what you're going to see networks like ESPN do, and ABC's done it for some of their Disney sing-alongs. They've sent crews to set up mini studios, mm -hmm. and you can do that. Look, if you have some actors who have the benefit of a, of a nice backyard, yeah, do kind of like a, a, you could do variations on the Arrow documentary within an episode type format you could get away with with certain uh slice of life you know, a moment in time type episodes like that program but how do you maintain a whole season's worth yeah or even an arc across it because you're right you have the technical limitations you have the substandard down you have the the obvious factor that people will, will recognize oh hey the person's in la the other one's in vancouver it's, it's a challenge um the Writers and producers like Gug and I who can come up with ways to to work around and within the limitations of this new normal. Um, 
you know they're going to sell those they're going to sell those ideas real quick because yeah. some networks are, are are looking for some things to to buy to to fill in the programming gaps and if folks are going back into production in the late summer or the fall or uh, with the knowledge that you know a lot of people think that in november or something we're going to get a second hit uh, of course they're going to want to buy shows that have built into them uh, an escape hatch for that. So yeah. that if you have to pause production or halt production or send production remote, uh, it doesn't terminate the show completely. Right. Especially Look, for new but, shows. Because if you get two episodes in and then disappear for a year and a half, unless you're like Superman and Lois where people are already invested in the characters, who's going to remember some sitcom that they watched exactly. for two episodes? Here's, here's an idea that somebody should tackle because it's very easy to do uh, with remote uh, producing. I mean, it's about the fourth, I believe it's the 40th anniversary of the superheroes roast. Find whoever's a, who, who's alive, find who's been influenced by that and do a, where are they now? And let's talk about one of the worst TV specials ever and let's make an hour program out of it. Come on, it's right there. I, I, that would be great, I'd watch a lot of that. <laughs> I, honestly, that. one of the things that I'm deeply jealous of, Mike, is that you guys do that those great long-form video works. Uh, I, I constantly am pitching my bosses like, hey, I want to do this hour-long like mini documentary on some esoteric thing about comics. And they're just like, I don't think any of our audience would like it. <laughs> Excuse me, I was the guy that took the, uh, and Mike knows about this, I was the guy that took the Image Comics um, thing he did for sci-fi and edited it myself into an hour documentary on my own edit thing. I was interested in it, and I, I'm up for it. So, I'm happy you did actually, that. I watched, the, I watched that with, uh, with my father-in-law at one point because my, my in-laws are kind of interested in what I do in a very general way. Like they think it's fascinating, but they don't get any of it. It's not something they've ever cared about prior to meeting me. And so uh, I felt that was a really great, really digestible, really accessible thing for people who didn't necessarily know a lot about comics to be That's able to awesome. get a lot of necessary information. They dug it. They, they, they were dug yeah, it. yeah. He liked it. He uh, he. It's funny because. You, the people who come off on camera, uh, if you already know people's personalities, you'll have one impression of them. Uh, everybody watching it who didn't know anything about comics were like, that Rob Liefeld, he seems just like a barrel of laughs. <laughs> and, and I personally love Rob, and I have nothing bad to say about him, but I do think that people who are in the comics community would watch that and be like, yeah, Rob's totally on brand and not... <laughs> <laughs> I love Rob too. I don't think he feels the same way about me for whatever yeah, same, same here. <laughs> but but I love Rob, and I think he's a great spokesperson. Actually, it's funny that those guys, the, the Young Rebels of Comics, uh, three of those guys in particular, who were most outgoing and the ones with the highest profile, Jim Lee, Todd, and and Todd McFarlane and Rob Liefeld, are really the the modern generation of of you know the, the successors to Stan Lee as the ambassadors of comics because yeah. they're still in they're still in the business they still love the business um and and they carry a lot of weight yeah. um in different ways but they still carry a lot of influence um and they still love the business and i think it's more important than ever that they that they carry that mantle right now because the, the business is in it's in trouble it, there's a big shakeout happening now that it's in a it's going to take a while to, to settle in and, and, and find its groove, but comics at the other end of this is going to look very, very different. Yeah. Very, very different. I this feel, is going to, this is, oh, 
Go on. I just get, I feel bad for Jim because uh, if there was ever, and and again, I, I'm not going to get into the politics of it or whatever, uh, whether you like him or not. But if there was ever a worse time to fire Dan DiDio, I can't imagine what it would have been, um, because he he did provide stability, uh, if nothing else. And I think that right now there's a lot of weight on Jim's shoulders because the guy who he used to turn to to be like, how do we spin this and make it? Like, cause Jim was always the face and Dan was always the guy with 15 ideas, you know? And well, Dan so, was really the guy in the weeds of, of, of yeah. Um, but I mean, look, Jim's hand is probably falling off now as he does or I think he's oh, like yeah, 45 no, or 46. Down. But I mean, but, but, that, guy has raised, that guy's raised $800,000 yeah. for, for, for comic book stores, yeah. man. Every I, night I, he's I, doing this stuff. I've tweeted it enough times. It's when he first started them. He said, I'm just going to do them half an hour. They're going to be sketches, which I'm going to just put together. And it's just going to be something I'm going to hopefully raise some money with yeah. sketches. And the tweets I've been putting out is basically retweeting him, him and going sketches. Remember that word. And it's just these full blown pieces. Ridiculous. Of it's ridiculous. It's I, um, I had a conversation with McFarlane right after that stuff started because, you know, we have a documentary Mm -hmm. uh, that sci-fi is going to debut this summer. We wanted to make a big splash about it at, at San Diego Comic. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's not possible, but we're, we're going to debut it uh, at some point this summer on the network. Um, I, I produced it for them, and I was talking to Todd about you know some things that we're talking about and how to promote it and whatnot. And I, 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 I at some point we diverged to talking about Jim and the sketches, and I told him I go, you know, I know how much you love the business, and I know you feel a certain responsibility to carry your weight and he's like yeah you know i've always said i'm never gonna draw spider-man again because it's like a guy who graduated from high school why would why would he go back to high school you know mm -hmm. he has no interest in ever doing that but he goes the industry kind of needs big guns to kind of do things so i'm thinking about ways to do it and i stopped him and i said here's an idea that'll save comics right now because it'll sell a million copies you and jim get together pick any writer you want i don't care who it is one of us could write it it's not going to make a difference you and Todd, you and Jim Lee doing our work for a Batman versus Spawn book. I go, you do that, do a three issue miniseries, Slugfest, splash pages galore. Like I said, pick anybody you want to write it. It'll sell a million copies. You'll get fans back in the store and you have the event that, that the industry needs. Mm -hmm. And usually when I've thrown crazy ideas like this out at him during my conversation with Todd, he laughs and he says, no. Todd loves to say no. He's really good at it. Yeah. <laughs> but this one, he stopped and says, hmm, hmm, what a bad idea. And I said, yeah. he wouldn't bring it up. That the, he, he changed the subject, we moved on. But he did his, you know, and, you know, he's back working with DC in a way with the toys. Yeah. Which, you know, some of those boxes are going to feature McFarlane artwork on DC characters for the first time in, like, 30-something years. Since and Invasion? Him, yeah. 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 And him and Jim are, 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 are pals, and they talk, and they text all the time. Um telling you, I think we're going to hear something about that down the road because these two guys know uh, that Fox needs a big thing. They need a JLA Avengers. They need something like that, right? And they know, it's funny, they know their place in the business and they're, they know they carry a lot of weight with fans and they know their work can bring in, uh, they, they can bring in fans, even the casual and lapsed fans who haven't been in comic book but you, you you put out a band that said Todd McFarlane, you know, Jim Lee, Batman, yeah. Spawn, 
fill in the name writer, but make a big name writer. Make, get a Aaron, get a Brian Bendis, whoever you want. I'm telling you, that's an event. Sure. Yeah. I was going to talk about um, the, the comics industry, about um, what we're going to see at the end of the pandemic and when we come back to some kind of normality. But we might as well talk about how they dealt with the pandemic themselves and during this period. I mean, who do you, between the pair of you, who do you think has held their own? Who's done their best throughout this pandemic, not only in terms of um, keeping people engaged, um, on online um, uh, products as well, um, lots of streaming stuff going out. I mean, the amount, I mean, we talk about the, the streaming wars and the amount of content that we uh, take on board. The amount of YouTube content that I have been taking on board while this has been going on, mm. comics talent yeah. just kind of streaming left, right, and center, live streams, Instagram stuff, left, right, and center, it's just been the same. Who would you say has come out best throughout this entire uh, model? The big two have in done well in different ways. I think Marvel's done a lot of digital content well. They do a lot of social media uh, content very well. I think Marvel's social media and digital team is really on point, really good. DC overall, I think, probably done the best. I mean, they have the apparatus in place for it. They, they kept DC Daily going. The producers on that show and the hosts really scrambled and were very quickly doing things from home. Um, I have a couple of friends on that show and, and I remember being very happy for them that they able to continue work. Uh, people like you know Clark Wolf and Hector Navarro, they were able to continue to do stuff. And they did really clever things that fit not just with DC Comics, but uh, across the entire DC media platform. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and they, and they kept the comics out there with the digital uh, releases. Marvel, you know, at some point Marvel decided not to put out any, any comics, but I, I like that as well because it would show some support for the comic shops. Um, by doing that, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think that, that question wants to see which stop going into the stores because what I'm worried about are the fans who take the two and a half months we've been under you know, as a way to break the habit and the cycle of the weekly trips to the, to the new comic day. I stopped that a while ago. Like, I went to the store into my shop in Miami you Thursday or Friday or Saturday just because I get a lot of comics and reviews and, mm -hmm. and just to keep up on things. But I like to go in and support this, the shop and do it. But I don't really buy a lot of floppies. Much. Out of the big two, I, I buy main trades. The, the, the floppies that I buy usually from uh, smaller publishers because I feel they need that money more. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I have, have broken that cycle. Now I'm worried about, it. are they going to get back into that routine? That's a, because unfortunately, the comic shops are dependent on, on that weekly traffic for the single issues. And I'm hoping one of the positive things that come out of this is that the publishers, big and small, realize they've got to move away from that. There's no future in that. The audience is, is, is dwindling. It's not growing. Um, the younger readers that the comic book publishers need to find to survive graphic novels, yeah. meteor stories for not much more than a special edition DC or Marvel comic. Yeah. So I get there's a there's into reading graphic novels, and she's reading some of the the uh, the YA versions of the DC heroes, and things like that, and the Telgemeier books and yeah. things like that. And I think that's where the business is, is moving. And, and, and for the longest time, the comic book publishers couldn't break the cycle. 
you know, they got people to, and I certainly don't want to cost any writers or artists or anchors any money. You know, so it's a cycle that they couldn't get out of in two months. You know, a lot of, you know, depends down. And I'm hoping that the people at, top, at the top of some of these publishers have taken this time to think about ways to really move the industry forward and to, to, to find a different way to keep the industry alive. I, I know some, I know at least one small publisher um, that's told me, and they're going to announce it soon, they're moving away from the single issue format and they're going to move to, to Webtoons and digital and they're going to publish their, uh, their titles as a, as a print uh, collection at the end, but they're done with single issues. That's going to be announced oh, soon. Yeah. And I think that's going to, that's something that other publishers with smaller margins are going to really consider doing because frankly, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It just makes a lot of sense. What's interesting to me is uh, prior, just uh, like immediately, maybe a week prior to the pandemic, I had been outlining uh, what I was going to write like three or four stories on kind of the state of comics and where we needed to be in order to be salvageable because things have been raised margins have been razor thin for both publishers and retailers for so long and the audience is shrinking and every time the publishers try to make a change that's going to be a good long-term change to benefit the industry retailers revolt and the publishers more often than not retreat because they need the retailers and they can't afford the short-term hit that alienating those retailers costs them and uh, one of the things, the, the reason that I think DC has done really well in, in the pandemic is not just in terms of like digital content and things, but they seem to be very much focused on the long-term health of the company and the industry. And, you know, this idea that they're looking outside of Diamond for distribution so that if this happens again, people can still have Huge comments. decision. That, that's a huge decision yeah. that they made there. And, and I understand a lot of smaller publishers are locked into exclusive deals with Diamond and don't have that luxury. But I do think that if DC and Marvel set a standard, then the standard becomes industry-wide pretty quick. Yeah. And so I think that one of the, that's one of the things I've really admired. And I know that it did, even that did upset some retailers and, and obviously upset Diamond. But I do think that uh, DC seems to have their eye on a ball that isn't just a pitch at the knuckles. Like it, they, they seem to really be paying attention to not just surviving this fiscal year, but like how are comics going to roll with this punch? Because this is going to affect everybody bottom line wise for like three years. And I think if you're, if you're looking at how to get out of the next six months, you're doing yourself a huge disservice. And that's one of the things that I've really been impressed with is that DC, in spite of, like I said, having kind of a management vacuum because they let go their most stable figure right before it all happened, uh, really seem to have a sense for this is what we need to do to survive this in the long term. I, I found it interesting that the big two, when the actual uh, pandemic hit, and it, ha I mean, we both all remember it just happened so fast. I mean, the world just kind of crawled was got on a dime. It was just happened so very quick, so very very quickly. Mm -hmm. It was the independents that really kind of stepped up and made some big statements about how they were going to service their um, audience best. IDW 
uh, Dark Horse, Boom, etc. They came out and they made those big uh, announcements about what they needed to do to stay connected to their audience. It's a shame then that I say, I mean, someone that we've been featuring a lot on this show when we've had guests on IDW, mm-hmm. um, that they had that strong model that they said that they're going to roll out the books post-pandemic and have the really strong titles that would allow them to get back into the game once things started getting back to the new normal. And then last week we had the, the word that mm-hmm. they were um, uh, letting, letting go of a, a large number of their uh, mid-level uh, staff, which really, it, it made my support of some independent um, publishers really uh, uh, difficult because you realize that they are going to, they may come out and make these really strong statements to connect with their audience, but then they're going to struggle um, just keep staying alive. When the money runs out, all, all the great, all the greatest plans, you know, go out the window. I mean, sure. it's, yeah, it, I, it, it's been devastating. And there are su- such small margins in comics on both sides, yeah. you know, for the smaller publishers and for the retailers, as as Russ mentioned. I mean, look, until 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 comic retailers are able to return unsold, have some kind of return policy for unsold single issues, comic shops are always going to be on the precipice of disaster. And then yeah. what happened? We just had a disaster. We're in the middle of the disaster, right? So, I mean, no matter how much money DC and Jim Lee, you know, in his tireless efforts raised, it's still not going to be enough to save some comic shops. Unfortunately, at the end of this, there's going to be hundreds of stories that never reopen. Yeah. And it stinks because those are not going to be replaced by, you know, there's not going to be the same number of stories coming around and, and filling those places. So the comic publishers have to think about where else can we replace that income? Where can we continue to service the audience? Where can we continue to build an audience? And it's got to be in the bookstores. I think so. When I go to bookstores, and there's fewer bookstores out there than I'd like, but when I do go into them, when I go there to shameless look and see if one of my books is there so I can like scribble on it (laughs) and and put it back there for the one person that might buy it, I look around and I see in the graphic novel section, I see a lot of kids there. Now, they're not looking... For single issues, they're, they're looking, and they're not even looking at the Marvel and DC trade paperbacks. They're looking at a lot of the independent ones and a lot of humor books. But that's what they're looking at. And that's where the, the future of the comics industry is. Mm. Mike, I think uh, it's funny because the, the thing you said there, which I think Bayer's repeating, is something that I've found myself saying to people two or three times throughout all this. And it's, you said it exactly perfectly. We have known for years that we were one disaster away from everything collapsing and now we've been hit with a disaster and not just a disaster but a sustained disaster that's going month after month after month yeah sorry um, I'm, I'm also looking through a couple of comments thank you very much indeed to everyone who's getting uh, comments and uh, i mean this uh, into the blue mister i'm going to return to this one the older i get the more i'm veering towards collections rather than single issues they look better on the shelf but i still feel i'm cheating on copies uh, on floppies I've, I've been going through all my floppies. I'm sorry, but I am a floppies guy. Uh, I mean, just to uh, you talking about DC and their uh, model and what they've been saying, when they had their uh, statement coming out, especially when they came to their um, uh, statements regarding distribution, about uh, looking at other distribution uh, avenues to get books into the stores, right. um, they the way that they worded that, that statement, it was a case of, yes, we have our um, the 
alternative models, the digital models, the way to continue and go look beyond. But they almost look at um, the, the floppies as a separate business avenue. It's something that they still want to maintain because there are the collectors out there. There are, sure. there are those. Well, um, I can tell you this, DC's in extensive research into this. And I've, I heard this from, from Jim and several other people there. Everything that they research tells them the audience for digital is completely different than the audience for the print floppies and collections. It's, yeah. it, all their research that they've been doing for years, and, and Jim was at the forefront of, of pushing for digital when he became publisher, co-publisher of DC. That was what he was really focused Everything they've seen in the decade since has shown them that they are completely different audiences, which surprised me, but in a way, it, I guess it shouldn't because there are some people that have grown up digitally i would imagine the younger audience is probably much more amenable to digital comics and webtoons and than you know old farts like me who who like the smell of, of a print comic and hold it in their hands um but look it's just as the older you get we all run out of space although apparently russ hasn't because he looks like he has a an endless amount of space there in his fortress of solitude there uh, well <laughs> the nice thing about uh okay so uh we we live with my in-laws we're gonna buy this house when they move and uh, they had many, many children. And so I have, a, I have a fairly large home office and I have, as you see, filled every inch of it with stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> very this, nice, this very back nice. here is like my Arrowverse wall primarily. Uh, the one directly opposite me is a Josie and the Pussycats movie. <laughs> I, know, I know you're a big fan. By the way, did you steal that garbage can over your shoulder from a, from a CW show? Because it's prominent. No, no, place. That's, that's just a garbage <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well, I mean, we had, we had Into the Blue Mister at the top of the show saying, Mike gets nerd yeah. points for the spinner. Russ gets nerd points for the statues. Everyone's a winner. So, yeah, I, we, I we, have, we, have, we have them paying attention to our guests and what they if, have in the background. If we're talking about the office, I should show you guys this because I, I love it. Uh, hold on. Go for it. Uh, so this is Bebo. Hey, nice. This was uh, uh, this was made for me by Jenna Anderson, who's one of my uh, coworkers at ComicBook.com. It was a uh, part of like we did a little. Each of us independently, because we all think exactly the same, uh, decided to send each other Legends of Tomorrow themed Christmas boxes two years ago. Um, that is awesome. And so that's that. It, it lives with all my statues over there. Usually, I don't put it right on the the statue's shoulders because you don't want to knock them over but I put it up there just so that the camera might catch it. <laughs> um, very nice, very nice. I got, I, the, the two plushes I have are him, and then you can, uh, if I turn the other way, you can see Mr. Glum, the red guy from Savage Dragon back there. Uh, and I oh. should actually, I, I should say, because uh, I've, been, I've been writing about Savage Dragon uh, a, a lot. I've been doing that commentary track with Eric for every issue since 150. And uh, so I, I should say that I, I have no responsibility for the number of times that everybody has said floppies in this issue. Eric hates it, hates it. <laughs> He's very particular. I've only yeah. interviewed him a couple of times. He's very particular. But I, I, I love the guy not just for Savage Dragon, but because he's also a huge comic art collector. Yeah, yeah. He's got one of the best collections out there in private <laughs> hands. When they did wow. uh, the comic book kayfabe interview with him uh, a few months ago, uh, obviously it wasn't video, but uh, they were doing the interview via Skype or something, and so they had a video. And there was like a three-minute uh, derailment of the interview so that Eric could like point over his shoulder at the giant stacks uh, of original art that he has on wire racks. It's like entire issues of Commandi and stuff like that. Oh, he's got one. He, I, I believe he, he may have the second biggest uh, Kirby original art collection. 
uh, on the planet. That would not um, surprise me. <laughs> it, it's an incredible amount of, of, of Kirby art. Like, yeah, he, he's, he's a fan of the media. I mean, look, this is a guy who could be doing a lot of other things, making a lot more money, and he chooses yeah. to do his book, his way, which I think he does like almost everything on the book except lettering it. Yeah, he does. Crazy. Occasionally he will letter or color it, but those are very rare situations. Usually he has a letterer and a colorist. No, it's, it's crazy. Uh, and technically we have an editor. We Technically he has an editor now, uh, Gavin Higginbotham, who for years ran the Savage Dragon Wiki, uh, is now uh, nominally Eric's editor. And basically Gavin's job is that uh, Eric will call him up and be like, hey, is this guy dead yet? Uh, because Eric kills so many characters that he just forgets who is and is not alive and call up Gavin and just be like, you know this book better than I do at this point. Can I use this person? <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. Right. To get back to a couple of comments, a couple of things that I wanted to get into. Um, and certainly when it comes to comicbook.com as well, um, with the way that they've been uh, wanting to do digital media and uh, commentary online. And you were talking about uh, uh, cartoon kayfabe there as well. What kind of stuff have the pair of you two been uh, paying attention to in terms of live streams and podcasts and things? And obviously, you've still got stuff to do. You've still got um, writing to do, and you've still got to occupy your time. But I'm certain there's downtime. What have you been kind of uh, been looking into and what you've been watching? Because there's a couple of podcasts that I've been watching. The original Drink and Draw Social is still my um, fixture on Thursday. I bloody love that show. Um, and I have been trying to watch the, uh, the Morning Joe as well. But, I mean, what's the ones that have been catching your attention? Uh, Mike, do you want to start or should I? Yeah, I'll start. I mean, Drink and Draw is a favorite of mine. Um, I uh, what's, the, what's the podcast I've been listening to? I mean, I've been listening to the, to the Galacticast, you know, since day one anyway with with Mark Bernard and Trisha Helfer. Um, in, in terms of comics, I really haven't added a new one. I don't really listen to a lot of comic book podcasts, to be honest, because I the, the time that I have to, like, research and do this stuff, I got to read the comics that I want to write about. And I always tell this to people, I go, I spend so much time writing, but I read fewer comics now than ever because I'm too damn busy. <laughs> so the pandemic has actually given me a chance to catch up on on things, whether it's some classic books that I've, I've missed over the years that I've wanted to up on and some newer titles. Um, in terms of videos, I've been watching a lot of interview shows because I always like to try to improve my, my interview skills. Uh, Josh Horowitz, who's a buddy of mine at, at MTV, he's, he's to me, he's one of the best interviewers uh, in business, uh, genre or otherwise, and he's got a great uh, interview series because he, he's really good at, at making people feel comfortable and getting to, to really relax themselves and say really stupid shit <laughs> on uh, on the air. Uh, so I, I enjoy his a lot. Um, you know, I don't do a lot of uh, Twitter live Twitter commentary or you know watch alongs. I have been following uh, your your pal Brandon Davis's. Uh, quarantine parties because those are really great. He's got some great guests who are really taking part in it and really uh, participating as opposed to just sending out one tweet every 10 minutes, you know. Yeah. So that's been fun. Um, the funny thing is I've been doing that without watching the movies because okay. I usually don't yeah. start and my kids are still awake. So it's like, yeah. ah, I can't put on Avengers Endgame because my kids would rather watch Vampirina or I'm here, I'm here. So it's, I just follow along the tweets and I'm like, oh, cool. I'm in the UK. It's usually about three o'clock in the morning when those things are going yeah. off. I can't. I can't watch them. It's it's. Well, you can follow Mark I, mean, I, I had you can that conversation. Mark oh yeah. 
Yeah, he's been doing it on Friday nights. I, I've had that. I had that conversation with a couple of our uh, of our like my regular interactions on Twitter. Uh, we I did because actually BD started those, but then uh, once Comic Book became more involved, he started trying to get other people. He's like, by all means, like I don't own this thing, man. You guys jump in here, do one. And mostly it's just been Brandon. Uh, our wrestling <laughs> team I think, did one, and our anime team did one, and then I did two in a row. Uh, and, uh, one of my, one of the people I interact with really regularly was super excited that we were doing one for Josie and the Pussycats. Uh, and we got Deb and Harry to do it. And Kay Hanley popped in, who was the singing voice of Josie and stuff. But, uh, she was in, uh, I can't remember where in Europe, but she was somewhere in Europe and she was like, it's, it's five in the morning right now. There's just no way. <laughs> Uh, and similarly, uh, Brendan Connolly, who uh, used to write for Bleeding Cool and, and then wrote for us a little bit. Uh, when I did the, the Kevin Smith, we did a double feature of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back and Reboot. And uh, he was just like, man, I really would love to chime in. I got to go to bed because he is in the UK. And so he uh, I was like, I'll tell you what, go on TweetDeck, like plug in like one or two comments just so I can say I got you involved. <laughs> nice, nice. You know. It, it, I love that movie, and and I love the fact that, you, that you're a huge fan of it too. I'll go ahead and say best soundtrack in the last 25 years. And it's frankly, great. nobody should argue that point. Uh, I have that. I I have the uh, the uh, Mondo version signed on my Josie wall <laughs> over nice. there. That was um, that soundtrack has has been part of my iTunes library since the movie. I mean, since you know, I had an iP I had yeah. my first iPod, I think. Um, just yeah, a great it finally soundtrack. came out digitally, like officially, like a year ago or something. And I was like, "Oh, good! I don't have to carry these waves around from 1999." <laughs> <laughs> and the songs still hold up. You yeah. listen to that soundtrack now, and they still hold up. Just absolutely great songs from start to finish. Yeah, um, I, I'm I'm still waiting for some tweet-alongs of films which are completely off the beaten track. See? Where I'm I'm still waiting for my Presidio uh, tweet-along. I, I keep I, I keep okay. waiting for someone to do. You know what I mean? Those films Solid. where you just go, really? really you, you you really want to spend a couple of hours talking about that? Okay, I, that's what I'm wanting more of. I've got I've got some honestly. Uh, I've got a couple of them, and, and in some cases, I've already reached out to cast about it, just to be like, would you do this with me if I could figure out a way to do it that wasn't hijacking comic books? Because the the big problem is I don't want to get anybody in trouble at work by being like, no, let's talk about this wacky R-rated political movie or let, you know, talk about this 80s movie that most people have forgotten uh, right. and, and do it on the company dime and do it on, while I'm on the clock. <laughs> um, I'm, st I'm stunned nobody's done The Rocketeer yet. We, oh, I, think I love that, The Rocketeer. I, I can't say for sure, but I think that Brandon had reached out to some of the folks involved in The Rocketeer and either it just hasn't happened or they weren't interested, one of the two. Uh, a lot of the things that he's reached out with, uh, it's not that people are said have said no. It's just that they haven't happened yet. In terms of like, people are like, "Oh, that'd be cool. Let me talk about it in about two weeks and figure it out." Uh, so there's always there's always like a, a backlog of stuff where it's like, "Yeah, we have one of these a week, two of these a week." But there's the always seven. A great one, huh? The Rocketeers is is a great choice. I'm yeah. old enough to remember seeing that in the theaters and, and coming out wondering why isn't this a bigger hit? So, why uh, isn't this a bigger hit? I wasn't, really as a kid, good. I wasn't aware that it wasn't a bigger hit because, you know, I yeah. saw it and loved it yeah. in year nine or whatever I was. And so it was just like, you just assume everybody loves it because you did. It's so, like Bill and so, Ted, I assumed it was the biggest movie of all time. I hadn't watched it in years, but my, my youngest 
uh, daughter is almost seven, uh, started watching the, the Rocketeer cartoon on Disney Junior, which is in-universe. It takes place in the world of the, the Rocketeer movie, uh, almost like a years in the future sequel, right? But for, for little kids. And they do a great job, and Billy Campbell's one of the voices in it. Uh, he occasionally pops in as the dad of, of the main character. And so I said, okay, girls, you know what? We got to watch the original Rocketeer. And my youngest always says, I don't want to watch a movie. I don't want to watch a movie. And then without fail, she loves the movies that I choose. I do a really good job of choosing. <laughs> but she always hates it before she watches it. Halfway yeah, through that- the movie, she was totally into it because she remembered the, the costume because it's, it's a, you know, the original yeah, Rocketeer. There's a statue of him in the, car- in the new cartoon. So the moment he comes on screen, boom, her eyes lit up. Yeah. And she was totally into it. But her favorite scene was the one in the ballroom where he goes yeah. crashing through everything. Yeah. That's it. Once that scene happened, my kids were all in. It's funny. The pilot, very well. the pilot for that animated show had uh, a scene at the uh, the fairgrounds or whatever. But it was it was they very clearly like storyboarded it to emulate that scene at the airstrip from the first from the movie. And so uh, I started watching it with my daughter, and I saw what they were doing, and I just pulled up the other one on YouTube. And that's how I convinced her to watch the movie was just showing her like, look, this is what they're doing. Um, which is, uh, I, I found that the more I try to tell my kids, no, this is great. You're going to love it. The more they don't listen to that. Uh, yep. So if I can like back them into something, uh, my, yeah. my, my youngest, uh, I was, I was playing uh, a, like a mix CD called the green album a while back, which is like pop stars from about, 10 years ago covering Muppet songs. Muppet songs. Yeah, I know. I got that album. <laughs> and uh, there's a version of Menomina by the Fray. And my five-year-old loved it. And so I showed her Menomina from the Muppet show. And that allowed me to like back her into watching the Muppets. <laughs> the Muppets, uh, I've had no problem getting them to see. But yeah, parenting, <laughs> it's a shell game. It's all, yeah. it's all about, it's all about, you know, confusing them and, and, and sleight of hand. That's all, that's all you can do. Marriages as well. <laughs> wives, you, you, similar tricks, similar tricks with wives. Um, listen, I was going to talk to you guys for about 40 minutes and then kind of, <laughs> we could just, I could, we could just keep going for hours. It, I mean, it's great that we're covering so much, but let, we'll let you get off and do the rest of your day. Um, but we'll just finish on a couple of things because obviously this is a Comic-Con um, related yeah. show. So we'll kind of come back to this one in terms of what we can ex- expect from conventions. We kind of touched on the way that we could be seeing I mean, we saw that promotion window is the way that Mike uh, put it earlier and how we've lost that this year. Um, But the one thing I'm curious about is whether the studios and the various entities have have maybe realized that maybe the promotion is not necessarily essential this year at, at conventions purely because the conventions haven't been there and they've had to find other ways to get the word out. Um, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on studios and um, companies coming back to conventions, um, how that could even look. Um, I mean, I mean, what the conventions could even look like, uh, either at the back end of this year or even next year. I think that's a really interesting question because I think that we started to see over the last couple of years uh, a handful of more uh, studios already questioning, like, is it worth all of the money and all of the headaches uh, to get to Comic-Con in some instances? Uh, you know, we see, we, we've seen people who have t- started taking every other year off or taking a, a year, any year off that they don't have a major thing they have to promote for the summer or something. 
And so uh, I, I think it's going to be a crapshoot. I think there's going to be a, a fair number of people who really want to get back to what they feel is normal. And I think that Comic-Con will be a, a great way to help do that. I mean, could it even be a case of there could be an absolute snap back that, um, <laughs> okay, no, we actually need to get uh, people's eyeballs yeah. onto the stuff that we've got next year. Ironically, considering, how much, considering the amount of backlog we're going to have of all of the, the films and shows that we're going to have next year. I think that's an interesting, I think that film wise, I think you're very right. I think there's going to be a lot more, like there's going to be so much congestion, especially because 2021 was already loaded for bear before all of this happened. Sure. Uh, but I think TV is going to be almost the opposite thing because uh, they're all starting production later than usual. And because everybody's watching TV all the time, uh, I almost feel like you, you need less uh, publicity for TV right now because people are going to be desperate for content. And when new stuff starts hitting, you can just run trailers just on your own network and on the Internet. Yeah. And it's going to get you the same bang that you would get having a Comic-Con panel in some cases. Obviously not all cases because sometimes you really benefit from that enthusiasm. But I think for, for shows that are borderline that aren't necessarily comic book shows, but they're like, oh, yeah, we'll do a Comic-Con panel. That's a, con that's a cool thing sure. to do. I think some of those are going are gonna to bail because it'll just be like we don't need to spend that money when we know people are desperate for new content. I mean, I'll start my comments by saying, one, I don't expect to see a, a, a notable comic convention uh, before the end of 2020. <laughs> You might see some outlier shows like the Tampa Con that I know they're going to do in July, which I think is a terrible idea. Um, okay. But outside of small, very, very quickly, small shows. Very quickly, then, between the pair of you, thumbs up, thumbs down, New York Comic Con? I, I, don't see any, I don't see any way that they can do it, unfortunately. No I mean, uh, even, even if uh, we had gotten to the point by then that it seemed like a plausible idea, you would have to deal with the fact that the Javits has been ground zero for the center of the epidemic in the United States yeah. for the last three months. I just, yeah. you know, there's October in no New York, October in New York, when when you might see the second wave. If you're yeah. if you're a talent rep, if you're a studio executive, who yeah. has to worry about liability for your cast and crew that could then jeopardize production for a three day trip to New York to go publicize a show that's going to be just starting back in production. Yeah, the risks don't uh, the risks far outweigh the reward um, yeah, there's no chance new york comic-con is happening no chance no it, I'm, I'm not sure why they have waited so long to say as much because i think that governor cuomo and i, I live in new york uh not the city i live upstate but uh, i think that governor cuomo has been very vocal about how cautious he plans to be in transitioning us back to normal because the city has been so hard hit I think it's something we're going to, uh, I'm going to talk at the back end of the show, especially about new, um, London Film and Comic Con. I think it's more of an insurance thing. If they announce now, there's going to be a lot of costs incurred exactly, when yeah. it comes to late, the right. cancellations. Yeah. Insurance plays into that. Look, I think when we get out of this and we start seeing conventions again, I think it's going to be accelerated by the actors who depend on their revenue uh, from cons and meeting and the meet and greets. You know, that's become an ancillary revenue stream for, for a lot of sure. television actors in particular because they realized, wow, I can make a lot of money by just interacting with my fans and giving them a, a cool experience. You know, guys yeah. like Stephen Amell really pioneered this, the Walking Dead actors in particular. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I talked to Mike Rowe Norman Reedus is, is probably the originator of, of the convention as a retirement plan strategy yeah. for, for TV <laughs> actors. And it's great because, honestly, it's a win-win. Fans will happy to pay to interact with actors who then make an effort to make, give them a unique experience, right? 
So I think a lot of those actors who depend on that extra revenue are going to be anxious to get back to it as long as convention organizers create certain protocols that provide a sense of comfort and safety. Yeah. Once, once those protocols are put in place and you convince the actors to go to, then you're going to see conventions come back. Now, in terms of big shows like New York and San Diego, I think we'll, we need to look at March and WonderCon as, as maybe the, re, the, the first of those big shows. I think even February is probably too soon because it's still winter. And, and, you know, who knows when this second wave may come back. Uh, I think spring is spring of 2021 is when I think you're going to want to really look forward to seeing a big multimedia con, you know, with TV actors, some movie studios promoting a, a big film and the usual comic book and gamers and anime folks. Yeah. How, I, eager, I, how eager are you two going to be to get back? I'm sorry. How eager are you two going to be to get back? I'm dying to go back to shows because I mean, it's, it's part of my job, but sure. One, I don't think sci-fi is going to want to send any of their employees to to any shows anytime soon because of you know insurance and safety concerns. Um, I'm dying to go back to it, but I don't want to go earlier than necessary because while I'm not super paranoid or super worried about it, I'm, I, I'm relatively healthy, knock on wood. I take care of myself and whatnot. You can't really – you have no control over what other people are doing. And, man, think about the Petri dish that conventions are anyway. Yeah. Now you throw this in, and and and, and the like. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of which convention outside of C2E2, which was right before the pandemic really exploded. I can't remember any other con that had hand sanitizer all over the place and made it easy to 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 wash away the germs. So it's like you know, most of these convention spaces have too few bathrooms, too many people, and not enough common sense to 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 create social distance anyway. So all of a sudden we're going to expect them to do this like that. Remember, most of those conventions are, are, are staffed by volunteers. You can't realistically expect them to do these kind of changes um, overnight. And that's basically what we're asking them to do. So, yeah, I'm, Not to answer your question in a long-winded way, I'm fine waiting until 2021 to go back to a convention. I'll, t I'll piggyback onto that and say it's not just the volunteers either. It's the audience because fans who spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars for the thing that's supposed to be the highlight of their year don't want to have to pass on such and such an opportunity because they can't safely stay six feet away from the guy in front of them in line. Yeah. And so the, I, I think that it's going to be really tough implementing any kind of meaningful social distancing at the bigger conventions. Uh, and I think you're right. I think that probably WonderCon and uh, C2E2 are going to be the two places where we start to see, like, this is the model. This is how we try to do this. And how does it break down and how does it work? Uh, I, I There will be, as you said, and there already are a handful scheduled of, of other shows. I know that there's a guy locally here in Syracuse who was messaging me the other day to say, even if only a handful of people show up, I think it's important for smaller shows to have the show so that people know that we didn't go out of business because of COVID. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I understand. I don't know that I agree with them, but I certainly understand that philosophy. Yeah. Um, and people so have, people have to work. People yeah, have to work. And and I mean, there in a living. It's, it's, I'm, I'm in a red part of, of New York state. There's a lot of people in my area who don't take it seriously because politically it's become a football. And uh, so I'm, I'm very, I'm playing this very, very safe. My father-in-law, who, as I said, we live in the same house and he uh, is a high risk person. He has like an arthritis medication that makes him immunocompromised. And so 
we have been leaving very, very infrequently and we've been, you know, taking it as seriously as we can. If I go out to like replace the fan that blew a fuse, it's a 10 minute, it's a 10 minute trip to the store, but I have not just gloves, but not just a mask, but gloves and everything else. And I'll carry bleach wipes so that I can wipe down any surface I'm touching because like, it's the combination of like having a high risk person in your household and living in a place where, you know, people are not taking it seriously. Um, and, and so, uh, I, I'm very much with Mike. It's like, I, I would love to get back to shows and I am eager to, uh, to get back to quote unquote normal, but, uh, I, I would rather wait an extra couple of months and do it right yeah. than half-ass it and have it become a catastrophe. I'm re I mean, there's something that came up on uh, a previous episode. I believe it was the Jimmy Palmiotti one where he uh, got into this conversation. Um, uh, I might have even been Dirk Wood, actually, because uh, we were talking about how shows could look coming down the line. And he basically turned around and said, um, and it was him and Scott Dumier, and they turned around and said, Basically, all of the legacy guys, all of the certainly in the comic industry that you would like to see um, in their twilight years, the ones that um, before they do fully retire, um, they're not going to want to come back to shows. They're, they're not going to want to put themselves yeah. in risk. Sure. Um, so anyone in the kind of like 50-year-plus range, yeah. you're not going to see it shows anymore. And also, I would add to that that uh, a lot of folks who aren't dependent on this for their living, like the people who are famous in the space and who have money saved up, uh, they don't need to be there. They want to be there. They want yeah. to be part of it. They want to be there with fans. But if they judge that it's not safe for them or their loved ones, they aren't going to go just for an extra couple of bucks in the experience. You know, so you, not only do you have the seniors who are not going to want to be there, but also you have a lot of the folks who maybe aren't seniors, but they have enough money that they can say, eh, maybe next year. Yeah. And, and I think that the, it's not an unreasonable thing for talent to err on the side of caution, uh, especially because these are events where people come from all over the country and all over the world. And, right. it, you know, if you're saying like, well, I'm in New York state and, and we take it super seriously and we're, we're got hand sanitizer every six feet and blah, 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 blah. So I'm going to be fine. Like, that's not true. If you're, standing in line next to somebody who this morning was somewhere else where the where the rules are a lot more relaxed yeah, it's true and, and you're it's a great point about you know the, the old guard of of, of creators they're, they're not going to want to go uh and risk their health i mean you know guys you know and there's, there's a lot of comic book folks who who i'd love to see at shows and, and talk with you know who are in the 70 plus range they 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 won't be going and frankly they shouldn't be going to shows until we, you know, maybe we, until we get a vaccine out there in in the in in the atmosphere, and and for people to readily access. So until that happens, I think you're going to see conventions really have to adjust their model, you know, their business plans and models, um, and floor plans and everything else to to kind of adjust the things. I will say in, uh, to to this tweet below us or the the comment, sorry, below us. Uh, I, I think that there are going to be outliers, and I think Steranko is a great example. I'm sure <laughs> Steranko is the sort of guy, and I'm, I don't know him personally, so I can't say I'm sure. But I feel from his public persona, Steranko is the sort of guy who'd just be like, ah, hell with it, I can do this. Yeah. Um, you'll have those people, and those people aren't wrong either. Like, if, if, if you think, like, this isn't something I'm worried about, I want to go make a living. Like, I understand really? that completely. Uh, 
but there's going to be a lot of people who don't agree with you both on the customer side and on the creative side. And I don't know for mid-sized conventions, like I think for smaller conventions uh, where your margins uh, are, are bigger because you're not spending that much money, uh, you'll be okay. And for the bigger conventions, you probably could make it work with corporate sponsorships. But like mid-sized conventions that really need turnout, uh, it's like if you can't count on 35% of your audience showing up and you can't count on big name guests to compel them to show up. I don't know how you make it viable. Yeah. I, I'm just really hoping that we're not, I mean, one way that they could do um, a big enough show where they have uh, enough content coming is to stream it in through interviews like this onto a big screen. I really wouldn't want that to be the next model when it comes to a comic convention. That would just not be my idea of fun, quite I frankly. Think, I don't think that's likely simply because, uh, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe there's people who are really into this, but like for me, uh, the crowds themselves are That's for not, sure. That, it's, but, but the crowds themselves aren't what I turn out for, obviously. Oh, right. uh, I mean, for, for me, it's like I, I turn out for interactions with people who I want to meet, whether sure. it's fans that I personally know or creators that I want to, you know. And so I, I don't, I think there's enough people who, if it's like, if it's virtual, why don't I do it from home? Yeah. And so I, I don't know that you can put on a show where it's like, no, let's, let's pile 30,000 people into Hall H to watch Kevin Smith talk from his living room. It's like, no, <laughs> we do that all the time. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Be careful. I, I, there's a, there's a Pete that I'm certain that that is on the cards. Yeah. yeah it's <laughs> And I mean, again, like it, it's entirely possible you'll see one or two panels like that at some big shows uh, where it's like somebody they really want just absolutely refuses to come out given the circumstances. And it's like, screw it. You know what? For you, we'll make that exception. But I don't think that's going to become the normal. I don't think that that's I don't think there's enough interest to support it. Fair enough. Um, listen, guys, I'm going to let you get off and enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, it's, I mean, like I say, if we could do another one of these. Uh, uh, down the line and get you both back because I mean we've touched on literally about a third of what I kind of put down <laughs> on a note because I mean I wanted to get into um, the whole streaming services and who has won that particular battle and if they no listen we could have carried on going for ages but can um, I can I just say uh, to that point I I nothing makes me happier than the fact that last night Legends of Tomorrow did an episode of television about how uh, the bad guys were using a streaming service to indoctrinate the masses into <laughs> compliance. And then four hours later, the parent company of Warner Brothers Television released their own streaming service. <laughs> yeah. It there was, was that. a bit of timing. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, 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 uh, there's other things that I wanted to get into as well. Um, let's put it this way. We haven't said the word Snyder Cut once yet. So... Yeah. We could either oh, look at Mike's face. <laughs> here's, here's my one sentence take on, on, on the Snyder Cut, which I don't think will be controversial. Mike can correct me if he doesn't agree, but I think whether or not you wanted it, whether or not you like Snyder, whether or not what it, it's the biggest single news story of the year that isn't directly related to the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I like to, I like for people to be happy. Right, and I don't like to rent in anybody's parade, and I don't care enough about it either way, because I thought Justice League was a wholly mediocre movie, and I didn't really like BVS. Mm -hmm. 
but I'm happy that the people that wanted the Snyder Cut, you know, released and and completed. I'm happy that they're getting a chance to see it. Plus, Sean O'Connell's a buddy, and he's writing a book about it. And I'm hoping this will help him sell yeah. a bunch more copies of it. So, you know, I was, other people happy. I'll end I was prepping it. I was uh, I was prepping a book, and I had to get clearance from CBS because uh, I theoretically have a, a, like a no compete clause in my contract. So you have to get all that shit okayed. And in the months it took for them to finally say okay, uh, Sean had announced his book in the interim. <laughs> and I was just like, man, uh, I, there are people who are definitely interested. There's not enough people interested to do two book two books on this same incredibly niche thing at one time. Probably yeah. not. But no. Yeah, I mean, look. I'm happy it's out there. I'll watch it as a curiosity, but I thought Justice League was really, really mediocre. How much better can this be? Yeah. But we'll see. My, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, my personal take on it was um, I spent a lot of time as a kid uh, being a nerd, being bullied, and now the nerds are the bullies. Um, <laughs> and it's, yeah, and the bully, the bullies have won. But that was that was my take on the whole thing. Listen, right, like I say, a whole bunch of stuff we can yeah, get. Yeah, it's 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 rough to get into something that takes <laughs> an hour for other podcasts to talk about in the last Indeed. minute and a half. <laughs> Listen, if we could get you back, uh, maybe in about a month's time, perhaps, yeah, because be I, because I think the way that we've seen this pandemic go, I mean, I, I quite like that meme that we've lived through six decades: the uh, '60s, the '70s, the '80s, '90s, and 2020. <laughs> um, I, 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 you paraphrase it, but it has felt like an entire decade in six uh, to eight months, eight weeks. Yes, it has. The, the fact that every, the, 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 the footprint seems to change on a day-to-day -day basis. I'd love to get you back in a month's time and see where we are, even in four weeks' time. So I'd yeah, love absolutely. to get you back. Certainly from both of our perspective, we both cover a lot of TV and a lot of comics, and I think those places are where it's changing much faster than in features. Yeah. And okay. so sure it'll be a lot of fun kind of coming back in a month and being like ha we were wrong about everything <laughs> as i usually am happy yeah, to do exactly. it just let me know and i'm happy to come back that's pretty much how i start every single one of these shows uh but there we go mike and uh russ thank you so much indeed for coming on um mike if you just like to say mike um where can people find you and your work online sure you can find me on twitter and instagram at mike avila very easy and my work is almost all of it is at sci-fiwire.com uh, including my weekly comics column behind the panel. And um, I, no, if you want a copy of that really long image comics uh, documentary, um, direct message me. We'll sort something <laughs> out. Okay. Um, I want to see that. I'd like to see it. See the way I did the edits. Yeah, it was fair enough. Yeah. Uh, and Russ, yourself, where can people find you online? I, I'm at Russ Burlingame, which uh, I didn't put my Twitter handle here, but I did put my name, so you can just it's it's that exactly. Uh, on Twitter and uh, Facebook, on social, on uh, Instagram, there's a period after after Russ. Uh, but uh, I, you can find my work at comicbook.com. Uh, I'm a senior staff writer there. I've been there almost 10 years now. And then uh, I have a an unrelated movie podcast called the Emerald City Video Podcast, which is hosted by myself and a handful of other people who used to work at a video store called Emerald City Video uh, about 10, 12 years ago. And uh, we, we talk about mostly geeky stuff because that's who we are but not explicitly geeky stuff it is very good i will put my endorsement on that one it's, really you're one of the five people who listens <laughs> oh, yeah yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no I, i'm a fan it's a, it's a great podcast so there we go guys it's been a pleasure enjoy the rest of your wednesday and uh, hopefully we'll see you in, in about a month's time we'd love to have you back
Yeah, talk to you soon. Yeah, good seeing you, man. Michael, you are, you are clearer than you've been the whole call right now. Just I, I got to say. Yeah. It's been raining nonstop down here, so it's been wreaking havoc with uh, with the uh, the connection. My apologies. No, no. no it, you, were pro you were understandable enough to me. It's just the, the image is so much crisper than it's been the entire time, and now we're saying goodbye. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. well, well, next time you, it'll be clear enough. Hopefully, you guys can ask me about the picture over my shoulder. Can't believe none of you guys have asked me about it. Well, we couldn't really see it. That's the thing. Kurt Cobain and me oh, in college. Oh, Crazy. okay, fair enough. I mean, when it comes to my conversation, when it comes yeah. to mic drops, there you go. He's, there you he's, go. he's one. He's and with one. that, I bid you guys farewell. Take <laughs> care. Thank you very much indeed, guys. Thanks see you guys. Care. Take care. Excellent stuff. Uh, so there you go. That's um, Russ and uh, Mike. Like I say, we'll try and get them back on because uh, yeah, we could just keep going on uh, and talking about all sorts of uh, pop culture stuff. Brilliant guests. Thank you very much indeed for coming on. And thanks for everybody who got their comments in. I mean, we, we kind of missed a couple, uh, but um, certainly things that we were getting into uh, in regards of trades and uh, floppies and uh, people's uh, attitude to that. Uh, Solicitor Smeg, I can't switch to trades. I, I know it's not about the money, but how sad would you be if you got the trade of the next Action Comics number one instead of getting a floppy worth God knows how much. Yeah, I, I kind of I get what people's uh, takes on uh, the older I get. I mean, we, I think I'll put this up on screen. The older I get, the more I'm veering towards collections rather than single issues. They look better on the shelf. But I still feel I'm cheating on floppies. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's an awkward um, situation, but there we go. Right. Um, I do want to touch on a couple of the other things that I mentioned at the top of the show, including conventions. Uh, which we have kind of seen the entire landscape change. Um, we've seen shows either postponing or indeed uh, cancelling and just moving straight on to 2021. We touched on that on the show, of course, obviously. But there are one or two outliers, one or two um, uh, shows that have turned around and said that, no, we are going to still uh, strive forward and we're going to uh, do our best to uh, uh, bring uh, the, the, uh, the show going forward, which includes... Uh, Atlanta Comic-Con, which was announced uh, less than 24 hours ago, stating that it's going to go ahead July 31st to August 2nd, which is incredibly bold of them. Uh, it's been a crazy couple of months. Thankfully, we now know that ACC uh, 2020 will move forward with added sanitation and safety measures enacted by Government Camp, uh, CDC and Georgia World Contracts, uh, Congress Center, designed to keep attendees, exhibitors, guests, and staff as safe as possible. Below is the press release, uh, which uh, basically stated it announces its commitment to making Georgia World Congress Center and Savannah Convention Center two of the leading convention centers in the country to achieve GBAC star accreditation for cleaning, disinfection, uh, and infectious disease for, uh, prevention. So it was more a statement from the actual building itself. Um, I found it really uh, bold of them uh, to come out and say this and to put these uh, statements forward. And they're announcing guests left, right, and center. Um, I It's like we mentioned on the actual um, show itself, the idea of uh, being able to predict what is going to happen in terms of second wave, in terms of how far the curve is being flattened, certainly in the UK, certainly in the US, um, whether that curve is even crest at this point and where we are seeing some kind of um, proper um, delineation of the, the numbers to make it worthwhile and make it a, the uh, ability to actually put these shows on. 
Um, we've got Solistris makes a, it does Russ know he's still on the screen. We have uh, removed him. He's still here. We could have him back on if we wanted. Um, he, he's there. I mean, we, <laughs> but I think he's just kind of watching in the background at this point. Hello, Russ. Um, <laughs> I muted myself so I wasn't interrupting. But yeah, I was, uh, I was, I was hanging on. Uh, I figured I'd uh, uh, chat with you after the fact since I didn't chat with you before. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Um, well, I'll tell you what, then I will. I'll make it relatively quick about what we're talking about. Um, so we've got Atlanta Comic Con. We've got Tampa Bay that has turned around and said that they're still going ahead. We've got London Film and Comic Con that has yet to announce that that's um, discontinued. Um, one show that I know a lot of people are being very curious about and where we're even going to see any kind of announcement is um, Star Wars Celebration. Considering that it is going to be held at the uh, convention center at Anaheim, um, at which point they had a November show that was canceled uh, yesterday, which was BlizzCon, uh, the celebration of Blizzard Entertainment, um, which is a massive celebration of the likes of World of Warcraft, Overwatch, etc. That's November. So how does that even? <laughs> okay, if you listen, if I'm going to get up stage by Kermit the Frog, it's not difficult. All right, <laughs> it's not difficult to do. Um, but how that's even going to even operate? How are we going to see Star Wars Celebration? Which means we're talking two major uh, repop shows that are still being bullish enough to. I mean, they're selling tickets. They are still going. That it's still going ahead, and yet we are seeing shows beyond that window that are cancelling and feeling that we are not at the end of this by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, Michael P, who has been following um, the statistics of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic very, very closely and seeing how um, the possible effects on a state-by-state uh, -state basis, uh, Michael has done a, a good job of keeping a close eye on this. DragonCon says it's still a go. I, I just can't quite, I mean, we talked about it on the show, we can't quite see how uh, shows can even operate in any kind of meaningful interaction in 2020 unless we see some real uh, significant improvement. New York, I, yeah, how on earth uh, Repop can go ahead with that at this point? And I'm a huge Repop supporter. I will, I mean, we've had Mike Armstrong on the show on, on numerous occasions. It, I personally can't see how that's going to go ahead. Okay. We've gone on a little bit longer than we wanted to because uh, we've been wanting to try and keep these two-hour shows. But you know what? It was well worth talking to Russ. It was well worth talking to Mike. And I hope you enjoyed uh, them coming on the show. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, something that I'm going to be uh, – I have announced already on my social media, but I'm going to be putting a little bit further forward in the next couple of days is the fact that I was being involved in the um, – uh, Tripwire Awards. Uh, this is a celebration of comic book talent um, across the board, from editors to publishers to new talent as well. Um, I was part of the uh, nomination and voting team uh, that uh, put forward the uh, the nominations, and I'm now, by the looks of things, going to be part of the presentation as well, uh, because what we're going to be doing, uh, they were going to be doing the awards live at Portsmouth Comic Con uh, in the May uh, show, which was put back uh, until uh, August. And then now it's been put back to 2021. So since the show itself has been cancelled, we are going to go ahead with the award ceremony. Do check my social media feed at Englishman SDCC. If you are a comics fan, anyone can enter and anyone can uh, put uh, their votes to the flag on this particular uh, awards. Um, we're going to be closing the awards um, voting on midnight on Monday. So that's the 1st of June. 
if you want to get your votes in, get do that uh, as soon as you possibly can, because we're then going to start collating and letting everybody know who's won, so we can get some videos in. Uh, and basically, we're going to be doing a live streaming ceremony on the 16th of June. Looking forward to uh, putting that up. It's going to be not on this channel. It's going to be on the uh, Tripwire YouTube and social media. But we'll spread the links as best we can. And uh, yeah, if you want to join in, uh, we'd love you to uh, watch the ceremony. But if you want to get your votes in, it's time to do it now. We're going to be closing those votes on midnight on Monday the 1st. So please get those in. Thank you, Mission D, for joining us. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, back again on Sunday, we've got ourselves uh, some more great guests on the way uh, for the rest of the month. Uh, let me just uh, wrap that down and bring up this particular uh, piece of uh, video because we've got ourselves uh, something that I wanted to share. Where is it? It's disappeared. Um, oh, yes, the rest of the guests for the uh, the uh, uh, Robin Jones is going to be talking to us on Sunday, but uh, we have got ourselves a special show that's going to be happening tomorrow. We're going to be talking to Christopher Butcher, uh, who is the organizer of the TCAF uh, Toronto Comic Art Festival. Uh, but they have a crowdfunding that uh, they're wanting to promote, and he's going to be coming on to talk about that for about half an hour. Our incidental episode, that's tomorrow, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. GMT. Thanks for joining us. Take care. Um, hopefully, we'll see you tomorrow for the show. If not, we'll see you on Sunday for another Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. For myself and from Mike and from Russ, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.